Stuart Freeborn headed the team that executed Phil Tippett's designs in England. It took three months to build Jabba, and he cost close to half a million dollars. In the film Star Wars, uh, there was a scene with Jabba himself, uh, and um, he was always intended to be this loathsome, large, monstrous creature. But it wasn't possible to incorporate my design of Jabba when we shot the scene with the actors on the set. Uh, so I came up with the idea of shooting the scene with a man, and eventually I would mat in a stop-motion creature over the man. Solo! This is the scene George shot for Star Wars, but decided not to finish. Solo! Right here, Jabba. I've been waiting for you. Have you not? You didn't think I was going to run, did you? Ah, my boy. There are times you disappoint me. Why haven't you paid me? And why did you have to fry poor Greedo like that? After all, we've been through together. Look, Jabba, next time you want to talk to me, come see me yourself. Don't send one of these twerps. Han, Han, understand. I just can't afford to make exceptions. He was always intended to be this loathsome, large, monstrous creature. The lie detective determined that was a lie. <laughs> We are talking this week about one of the most controversial subjects in all of Star Wars history, something we've been waiting literally years to talk about, human Jabba. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, that sounds, that sounds familiar. Who could that be? I, I, think we better, uh, I think we better answer this ringing light-up phone we have here at Blast Points HQ. Hello! Uh, <clears throat> hi, hi there. Yes, guys, it's Tom from Tom Spina Designs Regal Robot. How are you? I never would have expected this to happen. I well, I mean, there are times where I am just going about my business, doing things, preparing for our 1984 podcast, whatever, doing other stuff, and then uh, I, something just triggers, and I'm like, I need to, I need to call them. I put, I, so I take the 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 you know kind of cake tray cover off of my red phone, and uh, and that dials right to your hotline, and in this case. I, you know, it sounds like you guys are about to cover the scenes with human Jabba from from 1977 Star Wars. That was shot at the same time as the cantina sequence, you might recall. With that in mind, like that, that to me seems like why it would have triggered uh, my, you know, cantina sense here. 
I think I might be of, of service. W- would you say that your spina sense was tingling? I, I would never say that, <laughs> um, but it certainly feels that way. When there's people jibber-jabbering about Jabba, you can't stay away. That's right. No, no. Uh, it's like uh, there's 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 controversy in Star Wars. What? I must be there. No, no. I mean, it is interesting that you called it controversial or like like one of the bigger controversies because it's it's something that I feel like seemed settled for so long, and then it felt like you know fresh eyes got on it really relatively recently, although older than I thought, and and. You managed to take take something that we just all took for granted and and kind of turn it on its head a little bit. Yeah, there's there's a lot of evidence out there. We're going to be going over in this episode the evidence for the human Java controversy against the human Java controversy. There is a lot of ground to cover. Before we get into it, although Tom, fill us all in. What is new with Regal Robot? You've got just a couple things going on. Not too much new stuff, right? Just a few. We uh, we let's see. In the last little bit, we've launched our Indiana Jones collection and our uh, some great decor pieces. Our first prop replica and my favorite thing, the big uh, dart face temple wall facey guy. Those stone carvings in the wall that shot the darts out from the Ovidos temple. We did that as a really cool three dimensional wall uh, wall decor piece. We've launched. Quite a few new uh, magnets, including some for the 40th anniversary of, of Return of the Jedi, like uh, there's a Logray and a Scout Trooper. We've also got now people's first look at what the Mythosaur in Mandalorian looked like. You know, in the in the show, you only ever get a glimpse of it as Bo-Katan goes past them. Uh, we were able to get Lucasfilm's image archives, images of what the creature really looked like and got turnarounds of the creature in 3D video stuff. And we were uh, able to recreate it for that magnet so that now people can like actually see like, oh, crap, this is what a living mythosaur looks like. That's a good magnet because you can put it in your bathtub or like in your sink when you do the dishes and like you get down under the water and you're like, oh, there's the mythosaur. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just, um, and uh, that's the noise he, he makes as he just goes like the, as you go floating by him. So in just two days, we have our 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi special uh, anniversary edition maquette, which is nine num. It comes with a gold tone plaque uh, with 40th anniversary written on it that Dave Carson, who sculpted him, signed. Um, you guys also very uh, nice of you put out our uh, my chat with Dave Carson. So that was cool. Um, and yeah, and then. Coming up ahead after, uh, and that maquette will only be available for like 40 hours. So May 25th, go to the Regal Robot website and uh, and look at it. Maybe you'll want to pick one of those up because there's only a very small window to do it. And then we have another line of Indiana Jones stuff coming out next month, probably just ahead of the new movie. Um, so I'm very excited to share that with people. And we've got a little bit of work to do on, uh, on those yet. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to, record this with you guys for, I assume, seven or eight hours. And then uh, before I go to bed, I'll probably do some more work on that. It's hearing you say that, isn't it so crazy that it's just like, oh, and we can, we got this magnet of the mythosaur head from the show. And before the new Indiana Jones movie comes out, like, yeah, it's just what it's like, what crazy times are we living in? Right, right. Yeah, it's like, okay, yes, we've now, <laughs> we've, we've both seen a mythosaur and we're about to see a new Indiana Jones movie. That's 
absolutely bonkers. And, and there's, there's just so much in life that is surreal for me and, uh, in a very, uh, very good and positive way. And I am, I am never not appreciative of that fact. It's, it's amazing. It's all incredible. Amazing. And yeah, you guys also said something about episode three. This was obviously, uh, before the call, uh, but I, you know, I, in my spider sense, I can sometimes hear what you're talking about. So, but I heard the number three, five, nine thrown about as if you had done over 350 of these podcasts, which I, I think translates to about 6 million years of recording time. I, that's back in the napkin math, but I think I'm close. It, it, it only feels that long to people listening. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You got to think, we've known each other since like 1994. So really, this has been going on for decades. Right. We've only just started recording it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just have to think, like, there's someone out there going, you know, 359 episodes. Surely they've run out of things to talk about in Star Wars. And, and yet. We just got to human Java. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's before we start getting into the controversies, the the hot topic of human Java. Let's all talk about how we first all learned of human Java because it really it was like a just a seismic charge moment for I think all of us when we first learned. And I I think we can I think I can safely guess where all of us learned about it. But Tom, you go ahead and start. Oh, I don't think I even need to say it, right? Like, I mean, from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga. It was, you know, I watched it right when it first came out. I very, very luckily recorded it um, off of off of one of the local PBS stations. And it was one of the few deleted scenes. Is it the only deleted scene we ever really got to look at prior to, you know, like maybe the Behind the Magic CD-ROM? Yeah, I think I think it was for December third, nineteen eighty three. You think of it, we were seeing deleted scene from Star Wars, which was pretty mind blowing, and and like they show a good chunk of it there. And if I'm not mistaken, eventually when Behind the Magic comes out, they they threw a bunch of deleted scenes there, which was great. Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, they actually had more of the Jabba scene shown kind of like interspersed with some other stuff, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Well, I, I remember that being the first look at the rough cut of the cantina, which to me was just insane to watch for the first time. Like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then um, the big scene, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they had on there or some of it, all of it. I can't recall. But yeah. Anyway, Yes. Star Wars to Jedi, Making of a Saga, first view of it, you know, seeing that good chunk of the scene, getting a sense of what it was and, and what it was about. But then having George drop this bomb after that and say th- that we cut the scene because we never finished the creature was really kind of like, what? Gabe, would you say it was the same for you, probably from Star Wars to Jedi? Yeah, but with me, I don't think I ever saw from Star Wars to Jedi until I lived with you. I think you showed it to me because I didn't see it when it came out. And I, I don't think I ever owned any of the VHS versions. So could you call that living <laughs> if it was prior to seeing from Star Wars to Jedi the making of a saga? <laughs> no, no. That's where it was like, that totally blew my mind. Cause I would have been, what, how old were we? Like 18, 19. So I was like in college 
And I finally saw this and I was obsessed with human Java at that point. Just being a deleted scene would have been enough. But the fact that human Java is who human Java is and is pretty outrageous on his own. Like, I don't know. I was just I was obsessed from that point on. Now that you say that, I almost kind of remember that where I think at once I probably just nonchalantly was just like in human Java. And you were like, wait, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I because I think Tom yeah. kind of like you. I had the VHS. I watched it. I remember I watched it on PBS. That and it was so crazy because it was just December eighty three. It was just like what six months, a little over from the release of Return of the Jedi, and you couldn't even get Return of the Jedi on VHS or anything. It was out of theaters probably by that point. And, you know, there were moments from Return of the Jedi on TV and they were showing you, hey, here's how we did, you know, all this stuff. And here's like a George Lucas really candidly speaking about the Star Wars movies and like kind of like, I want to see my friends again, you know, and it's like, oh, one day there'll be more. But yeah, and I, I think the shock of seeing that deleted scene from A New Hope with, it just burned it in my brain. And then. When I saw that that came out on VHS, I was just like, oh, my God, that I have to get that. That's just as important as any of the movies. But it is like that's the thing with the whole human Jabba controversy. You watch that in From Star Wars to Jedi and you just take George Lucas's word for it. And there's the art, the infamous art where George Lucas is talking about how, yeah, like he wasn't able to do exactly what he wanted to do because they he wanted to put some kind of creature over the actor and they show this art as kind of like, and here's the proof. But like you said, it wasn't until fair, fairly recently where you start to kind of question that art. And once you start to question that art, where the art is almost in the documentary, the key to the proof that this is what he always wanted to do. But once you start questioning it, then you question everything. Right. <laughs> well, and then along came what the, the special edition in 97. And I remember the lead up to the special edition in 1997, because it was all the hype was like, Oh, this is, they're going to finish star Wars and do all the stuff George Lucas originally wanted to do. The one thing everyone always said was, well, they're going to put the Java scene back in because it was all, burned in our brains from from star wars the jedi that was the only thing we knew we we're like well what else besides the java scene will they do because we all know he wanted to do that yeah that's the only thing missing there's no java <laughs> but and the and the the interesting thing to me and maybe this i don't know maybe you know this this maybe is like i feel like this is a true crime podcast like well this goes to motive but george is a storyteller whether that's the movies themselves or when he's talking about them and, you know, what's a better story? I wanted to monkey with my movie or I always intended to do this, but couldn't finish it. And now we can. I uh, that to me is sort of the seed for, well, wait a minute. Was this always the case? Was this always intended? And here's here's one thing I would just say up front before we start diving into this really is. We don't know, right? <laughs> like, you know, um, not to not to spill the beans up front, folks, but we have no idea. We're gonna go through some of the possibilities. We are gonna go through things that feel consistent one way or inconsistent another way. But you know, don't don't take anything we're saying as us saying like, oh, we know for sure what George Lucas was thinking. I, that is certainly not the case. <laughs> 
Uh, but I do think it's a lot of fun to explore. And I think there's there's a lot of neat stuff as we started to look at it. Um, and, and some things that started jumping out at us where, you know, people start questioning things and then you start noticing little bits. And, and anyway, we can start diving more into that as we, as we go through the facts of the case. Well, let me, and I'll just say this before we get going too, that before I started doing serious research on this, I had one opinion on the matter. The more I read, my opinion changed and it may not be in the way people think. And I think that's the moral of the story here. But by the end of this podcast episode, come to your own conclusion. Do you, like what do you think? We're not telling. We're yeah, like you said, we have no answers. Nobody does. One person does. It's George Lucas, and he's he's not answering our calls. Sadly, not after the incident. Legally, we cannot talk about that. So. <laughs> Speaking of George, though, and let's start with the evidence for George in George's case. We are the defense. In this case right now, Lucas talked about it a lot, going all the way back. Yet we there's the from Star Wars to Jedi, where he was famously talking about, like we said, where where we all first learned about it. There's his quote in the making magic CD-ROM during the production of the special editions, where he just kind of echoes what he said in from Star Wars to Jedi. Well, when I first shot the scene with Jabba the Hutt, I knew I was going to create some kind of stop-motion creature uh, to be Jabba the Hutt. I didn't, at that point, have a creature design. Uh, Phil Tippett and John Berger were working on the picture, and uh, they were going to come up with a, an idea for, uh, for a character for Jabba the Hutt. Uh, I had to have somebody, an actor, play the part, so Harrison had somebody to play against. So we just picked a big guy and put him in a in a uh, fuzzy vest. I, at that point, felt that he may be a character somewhat like Chewbacca, a big furry character. We shot that. Uh, As we were cutting the movie, uh, realized relatively quickly that we didn't have the time or the money to actually shoot that scene, that ILM was pressed way beyond what it could pull off as it was. So I had to abandon that shot pretty, that sequence pretty early on. I had to cut back on the special effects shots and that sort of thing because ILM just couldn't handle it. The scene with Greedo tells the same story point, which is Han is wanted uh, by a bounty hunter. And uh, that's his motivation for taking these guys on this trip. As I uh, came up to the 20th anniversary, I was very keen to put Jabba the Hutt in. By that time on Jedi, we had redesigned Jabba the Hutt and we had a better, better version of Jabba so that I knew exactly what Jabba looked like and how he should fit in there. And with the digital technology, with a, I had the power now, technologically speaking, to do it, to put him in and, and make it be the same job of the hut that was in uh, Return of the Jedi. And he talks about it in the incredible annotated screenplays book, where his quote in that book says, Even when I first shot the scenes with an actor, I had planned to replace him later with some kind of stop-motion animated character. I imagined Jabba would be furry, but we just never had the time or money to do that. And I had to eliminate the scene, but I always wanted it in there. And this book is, again, from 1997. And is are, are his notes contemporary at that point? Yeah, I would say that's part of the mystery of the mystery is sometimes, I think this happens often, that a new book will come out with old stuff, but there'll be new stuff mixed in with the old stuff and it's never clear if 
it's George Lucas talking in 1977 or talking in 1997. And I want to say that some of the annotated screenplays, there are things that were changed from earlier versions, right? Which I think maybe we'll get into later with the script in there. The, the script is, is, a, is a major debatable moment. More evidence in J.W. Rensler's incredible The Making of Star Wars book, where it's, it's in the chapter where they're talking about editing and post-production of Star Wars, and they're talking about things that kind of had to go, things that had to get cut. And it says, Lucas realized that ILM would not be able to complete the completed stop-motion Jabba he'd wanted to in time to finish the movie. Again, though she knew the scene had problems and would be hard for ILM, Marsha, Marsha Lucas, lobbied to keep it in. In this, she was joined by Harrison Ford. The problem, once again, however, was pacing and performance. George also thought there were too many phony-looking green Martians that looked like Greedo in the background, Paul Hirsch, editor, said. I mean, that's pretty convincing stuff, right? Then, our final piece here is the, the George Lucas quote in John Philip Peacher's vastly underrated The Making of Return of the Jedi book. And this talking about... The, the filming of that scene, that whole scene in general. And this book came out, again, 1983. Lucas said the original idea was that he'd be a monster, but then we couldn't make him a monster, so we cast him as a human. I was going to superimpose or mat in a monster over the actor. I asked Fox for extra money for more creatures in the cantina to shoot some stuff in the desert, and also to do this blue screen Jabba to fit into that scene. I needed 80000 to do it all, and Fox said we'll give you forty. So we actually cut the scene out before we got to the point of shooting the monster part. If I had the money, I might have shot it anyway. If it still didn't work, I would have cut it out. We had a certain kind of monster, and he sort of evolved into where he is today. Now, this is where what I was saying, I started to change my mind. You've got to consider, too, and this is in Rensler's incredible Making of Star Wars book, that the Jabba scene was shot early April 1976, stage three, EMI Studios, on that huge Docking Bay 94 set with that huge Falcon. It was Peter Mayhew's first days. They were just starting the UK shoot of Star Wars. After a fairly disastrous Tunisia shoot, they were dealing with massive, massive, massive budget cuts. Lucas was getting used to working with this UK crew coming from an independent filmmaking background where they're taking tea time breaks and doing this and doing that. And not, you know, it's time to go. We're, we're all leaving. We're in the middle of a shot. You know, they're like, bye. <laughs> and just days before they shoot this Jabba scene with human Jabba. Lucas just figured out that he was going to kill off Obi-Wan Kenobi and told Alec Guinness over dinner that he was going to be a ghost for the rest of the movie, which did not go well. <laughs> and a stunt performer in a stormtrooper costume fell and injured his head thanks to a bolt in the helmet of the costume. Pretty serious injury. And there were defective 45 millimeter lenses on these days. So the UK shoot was off to a horrible start. 
he was not in the state of mind to be like, oh, I want to do this stop motion creature. I could totally see 20 something year old George Lucas, right? I think he was still in his 20s coming off after this horrible Tunisia shoot. Like I said, just being like, let's just film this, film it, get it over with. If it's good, I'll use it. If we have time to do a creature, we'll do it later. I don't like my theory now is so much that it wasn't as set in stone as it may appear in 2023. Well, the the other thing you've got to realize is these are being shot on the same days. Um, and they did end up, um, my, my understanding is they basically had to reshoot that Jabba scene uh, entirely because of those lens issues. But um, there's actually, I have a call sheet in front of me here that I, I managed to dig up while we were talking. So let's just see here, April 14th, 1976, uh, call time of 8.30, scene notes, uh, it's two or three scenes from the cantina and uh, scene AA-53 retake. So uh, that's the interior docking bay 94. When you look at the character list, you've got uh, you know some of the usual suspects in the cantina and then down near the bottom, you've got uh, Delklin Mulholland. Um, and then also down in the stand-ins, you've got Len Piper, who was the stand-in for Mr. Mulholland. Uh, and Len was due at 8 a.m. at the studio, by the way, not 8.30. He had to get there early. What What is interesting on this sheet going through, you've got, you know, um, you've, you've got your basic, your name characters, you know, Al, Alec Innes, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Peter Mayhew, uh, Mr. Ted Burnett uh, behind the bar, Alfie Curtis, Jack Purvis, Paul Blake, Angela Staines, Christine Hewitt got callouts as Space Girl. Uh, Paul Blake's character was just alien, by the way. Uh, Rusty Goff gets a call as a Jawa, Gilda Cohen as the Bat, um, Marcus Powell as Flash Gordon, Jeff Moon as Ugly Human, um, and Sadie Eaton was the uh, Eden was the rodent. And then in the crowd is just a list of. Four men as farmers, three men as Karelian pirates, three men as bureaucrats, three men as star pilots, four men for stormtroopers, two girls to be local girls, one girl to be weird girl, Pam Rose, um, although she doesn't get a name <laughs> call out, six men for ugly humans, 15 men slash women as creatures, uh, six men for spacemen, um, and uh, two children for Jawas. So... Quite a, a bunch of people to be wrangling. Uh, and in addition, stunt stunt arranger Peter Diamond is in the mix. The props department is supposed to be bringing drinks, a breakaway table with repeats, stools, laser swords, and laser sword handles, stormtrooper weapons, coins, guns for other creatures and pirates, Hans and Chewbacca's guns, and jugs of foul-looking liquid, <laughs> um, as well as... Tables and chairs or benches required for crowd. And then the special effects team needed to bring the dummy to explode and burn. Hans smoking gun, a smoke effect for atmosphere, laser hits as directed. Uh, ask your doctor if laser hits are right for you. Uh, all of the R2 units, all of them, um, and a hole to be blown in the table. I just loved how they word that. <laughs> like, how I don't know. It's like, hey, guys, what are you bringing? Oh, we got the hole to be blown in the table. OK, <laughs> back yeah. it up. Don't forget the hole. So so definitely, you know, a, a busy day here 
on, on the soundstage for the uh, for both the cantina and the docking bay at the same time. Quite a bit going on. And I'm actually looking now on the 13th. It looks like, uh, let's see here, AA53. So on the 13th, they've got 58 shooting in docking bay 94. And then here we go on the 12th. They shot AA-53 the first time. Oh, nope, sorry. That might be the second time. So now I've always heard they shot it three times, that the first time they had uh, a lens issue, the second time there was a different lens issue, and the third time they finally got it, um, which would really go to your whole thing of like, look, by the third time, like, just just get it in the can, forget it, you know? Yeah, there is a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, and this is all in a matter of days, and I'm just like, you know, yeah, this is this is this is lots happening here for 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 poor George to be to be doing that. So yeah, you know, maybe maybe this is where things got a little, you know, this is this is a bit much. Let's just get it shot. Um, you know, especially the fact that it's it goes from being its its own day. It's you know it's overlapping with the garage scene, which is a small scene. Then it's its own day the next time, and then it's now it's it's paired up being shot at the same time as the freaking cantina, which has got to be one of the most complex scenes to shoot just due to the, the size of the crowd and all the creatures and stuff. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot happening for George at this time. Well, it also then makes sense to, you know, the, the argument that, well, why didn't they film it uh, with the, with the Vista vision cameras or, or blue screen or all that stuff is they hadn't really done any of that stuff at this point yet. Right. For the at least not for Star Wars. Right. Like they hadn't I mean, other movies had done similar things, but they hadn't figured out their VFX pipeline at this point or how they were going to do stuff. Right. Like you said, he was just trying to get get the footage done for the day. So maybe in his mind, he thought it would be something else. But am I wrong or or was like the VistaVision stuff mostly used for, you know, miniature shots and, and plates and things like that that ILM was doing, not necessarily at, at the the UK shoot, and I, I mean, I could be completely wrong there, but that that's my sort of gut impression on that. Well, I'm trying to think in the movie other than the the holographic chess scene of anything that's not a spaceship that is a VFX shot, kind of a thing, or then you know, or the uh, the training remote or something like that. It's not like Empire where there's tauntauns and uh, space slugs and and things that you think of as star Wars, but back in a new hope, like they're really all the creature stuff were like people in masks on set. We we should explain for folks listening who maybe don't know that the Vista vision thing is uh, one of the arguments against it, that ILM shot all their effect stuff on super high quality Vista vision, where every, like the Jabba scene, for example, was shot on 30, the normal 35 millimeter. So, and when we talk about the arguments against, that's one that people usually point to is there was no physical way for them to take that film and do a stop motion creature or anything on top of it. There was no blue screen or anything. But I think an interesting argument to make, though, is let's say Fox did give Lucas that the 80000 that he asked for. I'm so glad you're here with us, Tom, because this, I think, directly connects to the cantina where he did get that money. And a lot of what we know and love about the cantina 
was probably from that extra money that Fox gave him. True. And he was able to shoot all those inserts for the cantina and it kind of made the cantina scene what it is today. I mean, we did the episode a long time ago on the lost cut. And if you just, if you look on YouTube for star Wars lost cut, you can watch that original version of the cantina and it's fine, but it's not the cantina there. The band isn't there, right? Is the band there? Yeah, no, no, there's no band. There's no hammerhead. There's no muff tack. You know, there's, uh, no Gotal alien. Uh, there's no Duros. You know, basically all of the really kind of like wild alien looking ones. So even the first one you see, the anvil head guy that pops up, you know, um, the Don Rickles guy isn't there. Jasper isn't there. There's, um, you know, the devil guy isn't in there. You know, these, these ones that, or either of the, the wolfmen. Granted, one of them is a wolfman, the other is a bat demon guy. I will. Always fight that one. But it's, you know, you've got uh, really many of the most iconic looking characters and uh, the addition of the band, which allowed the addition of the music, which really like sells that scene, the two different tracks there. You know, but then again, if you, you look, Rough Cut is just that, right? That Lost Cut is a rough assembly of the scene. It's a very slow pace. It clearly was not a final edit. This is how you would put something together there because it was easier to cut away than it was to add back in, you know? So that was the rough assembly. Had someone gone in and tightened that up and they added music and all of Ben Burt's sound design, which would have been the same regardless, right? Or, or you know, at least quality wise. I would argue you could probably make a tight edit of that with the soundtrack that would be a pretty great scene, but nowhere near what the final was when George spent that a very small amount of money considering uh, to, to improve it. I hadn't thought about this before, but it is the cantina is a good example in the George Lucas is telling the truth column because it is a good example of what was shot initially versus having some more money to go back and kind of make it better. If that was applied, if he had another, you know, 40,000 or whatever just for Jabba and went back and did the cantina treatment to the Jabba scene, potentially refilming everything, maybe he did was thinking that. And just because it's not written down word for word somewhere doesn't mean that that wasn't what he was intending to do to that scene the same as what they did to the cantina. So now there is the question of did he shoot it in a way that would be conducive? to future editions. And that to me is something that is a little strange. I look at the way that scene is shot, moving camera, characters right up against each other and crossing each other's paths and think considering how they would have had to mat those things in at the time and the way that they would have had to track those movements and things like that really wasn't doable back then at all. <laughs> Now, that's not to say that, you know, look, they had Dennis Muir and they probably could have figured this out, um, but they definitely put some obstacles in front of themselves that I think they were careful about in other instances in that movie. And it, it would surprise me. And, and again, this isn't saying definitive anything, but it would surprise I would be surprised to think that that's how he would have shot it, knowing he was going to be matting a stop motion creature over it later. Um, because he's he's just 
making his, it's like past George is being really mean to future George by shooting it that way. Here's my guess. Fox gives him that extra $40,000, reshoot the whole thing with Harrison Ford on a blue screen, which they could not do in 97. That 97, they, you know, you couldn't, take 1997 Harrison Ford and dress him up as Han Solo, <laughs> which would have been hilarious, but you couldn't, you couldn't get away with that. I think they would have just reshot the whole thing against a blue screen, much like, you know, they, with the cantina pulling things together in corners and asking Rick Baker to bring every mask he's got in his garage or whatever it was. Right. And I think it's interesting too, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the right person to ask. The chess monsters was a very late addition. And I wonder if I wonder if some of that was with that forty thousand dollars that Fox gave him. You know, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I do know though they were I mean, it was always intended to be an effect shot though. And if you look at how it's shot, it's very locked down. You know, the camera's not moving. So it's it's a lockdown alignment. It's not a crazy. There's no tracking going on, and 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 there's no you know you're not going over something that's already there. It's just a blank space that you're you're putting something in. It's the equivalent of them putting the Princess Leia hologram in lockdown shot. That's where it is on the table. Just line it up, uh, eyeball it, and go. But you know the 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 thing with the chess set is the original intention was to do it with people in suits or something like that. And then um, I forget what movie it was that had it. Future World. Thank you. Yeah, just come out and had something very similar. And so they uh, they decided to go with the stop motion monsters. And thank goodness they did, because those are just all really, really fun, cool designs and something you guys know I'm passionate about those little monsters. But what's interesting, too, is Lucas said he talked to Phil Tippett and John Berg about doing some kind of stop-motion Jabba for that scene, but they didn't have it ready or wasn't. they probably didn't even know if it was ever going to happen. But those two did grace us with the chess monsters. Right. And, and they were plucked to do that while they were working on the cantina with Rick's guys. They, you know, George had seen some of the little monsters that Phil had brought with him. Those was just personal projects and asked if they could use them for the cantina. I'm sorry for the, the hollow chest set. And then, you know, uh, said, Oh, well, you know, can you make me like eight or 10 more of these? <laughs> you know, there it's, it certainly could be in that same sequence. And and we did, <laughs> um, we asked Mr. Uh, Mr. Berg and Tippett to comment for this story, uh, but they have, as of yet, not gotten back to us. Um, I, I will update us in the future if, if uh, the next time I chat with, with both of them, if, if either of them have recollections about this. Um, I, I regretfully only asked them about it very recently. <laughs> uh, like you said, maybe this wasn't on their radar. Maybe this was, maybe it, you know, I, it really is. This is why it's a mystery, right? There's, you know, stuff that's said about it. There's some stuff that makes sense. There's some stuff that makes less sense. Um, and, you know, there's there's a few questions about some of the pieces that, that sort of come out over the years. Like we're right now, we're still in 1977 right now, 76, 77. And, and, and I say 77 because the Chess Monsters and the Cantina reshoots were both in early 77, just, you know, almost weeks before the movie came out. I know 
uh, Phil and John tell the story of that when when they were doing the chess stop motion, uh, ILM was having its rap party on the other side of the curtain um, and, you know, hooping it up as they're sitting there trying to remember their places and doing stop motion animating. <laughs> if they were intending to do that, they sure didn't have a lot of time to do it either. Right. There's definitely there was no time to do it. But I guess the the mystery at this point is where they asked about it. And, and if because I think that's the, you know, part of this mystery is did George Lucas really think about this in 77 or did he think about it later and, and you know, not remember correctly or or have a more interesting story, which I think leads us into the kind of the the against column right jason as far as what makes it seem like this wasn't a 77 thing and and the most important part of that is goes back to from star wars to jedi was the concept art image that at you know at first was like well oh yeah there's a drawing of it of course this was gonna happen even b- before the all-important art the, a good way to kick it off is going back again to john phillips peacher vastly underrated making a Star Wars Jedi book and Marsha Lucas talking about the scene where we all know how vitally important Marsha was to the production of the original films and rears of the lost Ark. Here's Marsha on that scene. Jabba was a big debatable item. George had never liked the scene Jabba was in because he felt the casting was not strong enough. There was an element, however, that I liked a lot of the way that George had filmed it. Jabba was seen in a long shot and he was yelling while in the foreground in a big close-up. Han's body wiped into the left corner of the frame and his hand was on a gun and he said, I've been waiting for you, Jabba. And then we cut to Han's face and Jabba turned around. I thought it was a very virtile moment for Han's character. It made him look like a real macho guy. And Harrison's performance was very good. I lobbied to keep the scene, but Jabba was not terrific. And Jabba's men, who all looked like Greedo, were made of molded pla- molded green plastic. George thought they looked pretty phony. So we had two reasons for wanting to cut the scene. The appearance of Jabba's men and the pacing of the movie. You have to pick the pacing in an action movie like Star Wars, so ultimately the scene wasn't necessary. Now what's interesting is Marsha there is not mentioning anything about stop motion or wanting to do Jabba as a creature and not an actor. And and speaking of as an actor, there is a John Molo costume sketch for Jabba the Hutt, uh, along with Montrose, who, you know, in the call sheets, you see their fittings and everything like that. If this guy is a stand in for a creature... Why is he in a costume? <laughs> um, you know, the, I mean, granted, yes, this is the days before uh, he's not wearing the ping pong ball mocap suit or anything like that. And and this is not, again, nothing definitive. But there, that to me is that's a little bit of a question. Why would you go through the time of designing a costume for him, making a costume for him, casting an actor and putting him in there if you're just going to be covering this up with a creature. But very interesting that she's not mentioning that. You would think if you're explaining the reason the shot isn't in the movie, not being able to cover him up with the creature you always wanted to would be the number one reason. Marsha is talking about the performances in that scene. 
yeah, like you said, not like the creature. And Marsha's quote is right before George's, where George is talking about, oh, I didn't have the money and I wanted to do a creature and it was going to be a fuzzy creature and all this crazy stuff. Well, and the quote from George there is obviously from closer to the time of the making of Return of the Jedi, when it's now decided that Jabba is a creature and not a human, for sure. Is this a retcon at that point? Is this him trying to say, well, we're doing him as a creature, but we were really going to do that all along? Maybe. I don't know. Which this is Star Wars, too, which, you know. Luke and Leia, brother and sister, Darth Vader is Luke's father. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I mean, the Luke and Leia brother and sister thing is is you know, one of those things that feels very retcon when you, you know, watch it in the context of those three movies. I'm sure that there are other examples of George putting something into one of these movies and saying, no, that was the plan all along that wasn't. I, of course, can't think of any at the moment, but <laughs> um, I, and, and that's his prerogative. Right. He's the guy who makes the stuff. Whatever. In some cases, that's just is it the better story? Is it the is it something that, you know, feels better for him at the time or feels better for the audience? Does it make what you're doing now make more sense if you tell people, no, no, it's okay. It was always like that. Star Wars, the films are a modern myth and how Star Wars was made is partially a modern myth as well, where it's the. The, the theme of the story is more important than specific facts sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And and to me, like the making of the films is as interesting as the movies themselves. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is why we're here 350 episodes in talking about human drama. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the art. Let's talk about the... The, the slug in the room, the art, the proof that is that was shown in From Star Wars to Jedi. So I have a couple of things that – so here's a question. We're presented this art in the movie, uh, in From Star Wars to, making, uh, to Jedi Making of a Saga. This is an overlay. This is something put in by the editors of the documentary – it is not George standing next to it, pointing to it and saying, this is what we always intended. And if you listen closely, when George is talking over it, it's not from the same interview. It's overdubbed later as well. In the film Star Wars, uh, there was a scene with Jabba himself. Uh, and um, he was always intended to be this loathsome, large, monstrous creature. But it wasn't possible to incorporate my design of Jabba when we shot the scene with the actors on the set. Uh, so I came up with the idea of shooting the scene with a man, and eventually I would mat in a stop-motion creature over the man. And that happens all the time in these things. You get someone talking, and the producer puts something up to, uh, else up underneath it. So the way it's presented, it feels as if this is a vintage piece of art from like a storyboard or something in, in Star Wars showing that Jabba was always supposed to be a creature and that this was how they were going to mat him over. Now, I look at it and say, is this a storyboard? Or is this just, this is an experiment where somebody was told, hey, we want to see if we can put a stop motion creature over this. Can you see if that would work? And if that's the case, well, when was it sketched? Because that same conversation could have happened just as easily in 76 or 77 
as it could have in 83 or 81 or whatever. I do think based on the look of the sketch, my guess is this is made before they finalized the look of Jabba, right? Like that's pretty clear. So that would put this pre-1981, you know, or, or 1981 or before production of Return of the Jedi, early production of Return of the Jedi. That's the latest this could have been made, in my opinion. But beyond that, I, I wish I knew. Well, and for me, I think this is, has become the most interesting part of this, even if we never know the truth, is just it makes sense with the, with 97 Special Edition coming out and like, hey, now, now Jabba's in the movie and now he's the Jabba we all know. But just the idea that this whole concept of replacing Jabba, even if it didn't originally mean to happen in 77, but as early as 81 that they were thinking about it. And doing drawings and potentially while they were designing Jabba, thinking about, hey, if, if this is Jabba, would he work in A New Hope? And, you know, and them thinking of that in, in 8081 is really fascinating on its own, whether or not, you know, the whether it was intended to be there originally or not. It's still really, really interesting. The curious things with this piece of art that's shown, though, is just moments before or after. I can't remember. They spend all that time with Mark Hamill talking about all the different versions of Jabba and how they, they couldn't get Jabba right. This one's too human. This one's too snail-like, you know, and this one's just right. But then when you see the art, it just kind of looks like Jabba, but he's like standing up and he's kind of drawn over human Jabba as he looks in the movie. Not to be confused with too human Jabba. <laughs> <laughs> If it was made before Star Wars, it looks like the it looks like the actor playing human Jabba. So that doesn't check out. And they had no idea what Jabba was going to look like. I mean, you look at the the comic book adaptation. Right, right. He's just a Mosep alien, one of the walrus guys. Yeah. Right. So it's not like they had the look nailed down. So you can kind of cancel out it being done in the late 70s. And the the real smoking gun in this art is Salacious Crumb. If that is Salacious Crumb, Jabba has a little monkey, little goofy little alien next to him. The monkey lizard in the room. <laughs> and as we talked about, even in the, the Creatures Return of the Jedi panel last year from the Twin Suns room. The place to be. Salacious wasn't even originally intended wasn't made with the original intent of being Jabba's little buddy. That kind of came much later because they loved what everyone on the set, like loved this little salacious. And there's even the thing, isn't it in from Star Wars to Jedi where Richard Marquand is just like, we should put him next to Jabba or something. Maybe that's classic creatures. I can't remember. Yeah. I think that might be classic creatures. Yeah. But it is. So the question there is like, is that salacious crumb? It sure looks a little like him, right? There's a little guy right next to Jabba's tail holding like a little spear or something like that that definitely looks like salacious crumb. The other, you know, you make a really interesting point in that the two human Jabba under, sorry, regular human Jabba under the mat in creature is drawn like Delkin Mulholland in his costume from the movie. I would be curious to see the storyboards for the scene, um, which I don't know of offhand, 
Uh, and, and maybe I don't know if they did storyboard that scene, but it seemed like they storyboarded a heck of a lot of the movie. I'd be surprised if they didn't. They're not in the storyboards book. If 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 they're somewhere, it's not in the book. But my guess would be that those pictures wouldn't look like him because I don't think you know he wasn't a real known entity. I don't think they were. Uh, you know, his costume was not. He didn't even have a fitting until a couple days before they shot. For this to look that much like him in that costume. And in the exact pose that he is in in that shot when he turns around to see Han uh, with the hands on the belt and everything, I think that's a bit of a stretch to say that someone did this ahead of the shot. You know, now, could this have been after that was shot, but before, you know, Star Wars was finished? And you're, you know, what you're saying then is George was saying, hey, if I get more money, can we do this? Can you try this out? Certainly could be. Here's something I think is interesting. The Millennium Falcon in this shot appears to have, and I could be wrong, but it appears to have the flat back end on the cockpit that is seen on some of the early Macquarie sketches of the Falcon, but not the final. Now, it could just be the way that the drawing is and that that area is a little unclear because I, you know, again, it's like we're, we're interpreting some sketchy watercolor at the edges there. <laughs> if that's the case, depending on who's drawing this thing, that would be a weird way to draw the ship if you were working off of the shot in the movie. And if, if it was post-production and you already knew what the Millennium Falcon looked like, I could just be seeing things there. I, I that it just looks a bit like it. The shadow feels a bit like it. It might just be how whoever drew it drew it. But I, I think that's an interesting thing. And it's one of those things that points to it being earlier rather than later. Which yeah, just adds to the craziness because, yeah, on one hand, you know, if that Falcon thing is telling you it's older, Salacious Crumb tells you it's even newer the where even if it's like oh they're they, you know they somebody drew this while they were figuring out java but if that was the case they wouldn't have figured out salacious crumb yet so yeah it's just it adds to the just the mystery and just overall craziness of this whole thing is that there's this drawing that's in some ways the key to it all but but in other ways just makes it even more of a mystery and more confusing and no one knows where the drawing is you know, on top of it all, like because it's a cut in in the movie, in the in the, the documentary, it is a tight shot on the drawing. It's cropped. If they pull out, there might be some text on this explaining stuff. There's probably someone's signature and a date saying who made it, you know, going down the line with who made it. So we checked the, you know, the first thought on all of this stuff is Joe Johnston. We did check in with him uh, and Joe uh, told me he thought it. Definitely looked like his style, but he had no recollection of it. Um, considering the time between these and how many storyboard pages he probably made for these movies, uh, not surprising. Who was it that pulled up, uh, uh, Jason? Was it you that pulled up some of the Dave Carson storyboards that looked similar? Oh, yeah. We we had a whole period of time here where we were going insane. And yeah, and I, I tore through that incredible uh, Rinsler, the original trilogy storyboard book. And yeah, there were some Dave Carson storyboards, especially of stuff of like the space battle and pilots and stuff where it was some of the watercolor, some of the gray watercolor really, it really kind of matched up. And and you, you took, obviously you talked to Dave Carson, right, Tom? Right. 
So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's really fortuitous timing that we're researching this at the time when I was like literally talking to him quite a bit. Um, and so we asked him and he said it wasn't him. <laughs> he said maybe Joe Johnston, which was uh, helpful, but not, ultimately not. Um, the other one that that I think you came up with that had a similar look. Uh, do you want to say who that was? We're talking about Nilo. Yeah. And luckily, you know, some common friends there, I put some feelers out and unfortunately he said it was not him. <laughs> so that really, you know, that that was the extent of where we were able to to reach. If anybody else has an idea of who might have done this art and, you know, wants to get in touch, uh, please hit the uh, pick up the, the red flashing phone and call Jason and Gabe <laughs> or maybe reach out to him on social media. But yeah, I, I wish the art itself would turn up. Um, I've asked a few friends who have, have gone through a lot of the art in the archives um, and, and they hadn't seen it. You know, the, if the archives folks weren't so busy, I would really put them on it. But it's also, you know, we, we don't get to really put them on things, but I would very nicely ask if they could keep an eye out. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe someday that original art is going to show up. And if that's the case... Well, then maybe we're going to learn something else about it from that. Because it really is amazing that this art is so mysterious because I feel like this is like Star Wars The Jedi's. It's a big deal, right? We all think it's a big deal. Like people watch it, you know? Yeah, either it's a big deal to you or you're wrong. <laughs> it's a key part of the of the that documentary is like here is this big full screen image of this drawing and the fact this drawing doesn't even officially appear in any other and any books even yeah. right yeah no it does not it's like there's screen screen grabs from star wars to jedi is like the only way to get this image which is a little bonkers <laughs> like that's there's you know it's amazing to me constantly i'm amazed at how documented the first star wars is for a movie that wasn't Star Wars yet, for them to have taken as many photos as they did and behind the scenes uh, images and stuff, that's incredible. And oh gosh, am I so happy they did because it really, it's given me so much joy in life going through all that stuff. But, you know, there, there, are, there are much bigger movies that have come out that had far fewer behind the scenes photos taken. Um, I think there's some benefit in that a lot of crew took behind the scenes photos because they were just excited about what they were working on and they thought they were making cool stuff. But yeah, for a movie that is so surprisingly well documented, to not have more documentation about this at the time is weird in its own right. Well, especially if if based on the image, this is post New Hope, post Empire in in, you know, in early days of return of the jedi there would be even more reason to keep it or for it to show up somewhere else because at that point they knew star wars was star wars and they were holding on to stuff indeed well and i is it it had was it around at the time of shooting from star wars to jedi did those guys you know did, is, is whoever's producing this movie did they shoot that that cropped in shot of it probably you know they didn't they weren't given that footage does that mean that they had access to the actual document? Probably was. Does that mean it, it is that it still physically existed in 
at the time they were making it. And, you know, the question then is what happened to it after that shot? Because you, you could easily imagine George Lucas sitting on that couch and from Star Wars to Jedi and, and saying, this is what I originally intended. And the yeah, the makers of that documentary being like, oh, it would be great if we had something visual we could show people. And they just yelled down the hall, hey, Joe Johnston, will you draw something super quick? And then a sketch, a sketch that probably took him 10 minutes. Oh, how about this? Great. Let's film it. Yeah, yeah. And here we are all, you know, 40 years later debating the importance of this thing that could have taken Joe Johnson like 10 minutes to do. That's how AI worked back then. Uh, You would (laughs) shout the prompt down the hall to an incredibly talented artist and uh, you would ultimately get great art. (laughs) Well, I think it's probably worth bringing up, too, that there were storyboards made for the Java scene in the special edition. Yes. Quite a few in the, in the you know, kind of behind the scenes stuff on that. They don't bring this image back either to like, Hey, this is what we were originally thinking. And then here's where we ended up. So, you know, even more adding kind of to the mystery of, did they even have access to this image and choose not to use it? Or did it just disappear uh, after from star Wars to Jedi? And it is, um, the 97 special edition storyboards are all things that are in the Lucasfilm image archive still. Um, I don't know if, you know, the physical assets, but certainly the digital assets of you know, photographs of them exist. But yeah, this one piece, this one wonderful bit of mystery artwork uh, is unfortunately just not around. It's in the box somewhere with all the like original tapes of all the Max Rebo band music. Oh. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, too, speaking of the 97 special edition, a lot of those storyboards, which a lot of them are in Paul Duncan's uh, second archives book, too. A lot of them have Jabba on like a little floating platform, like a kind of like hover disc that Jabba's sitting on to kind of, I think, get around the problem of how do we have Harrison Ford walk around him and how does how do we have this giant slug kind of move and go walk with Harrison Ford? Yeah, is there a way to 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 make an immobile creature mobile? The other big thing in the argument against the human Java controversy is the script, the issue of the script. And this we've got to give, we haven't done it yet, but we've got to give a huge shout out to Michael Kaminsky's Secret History of Star Wars, where he really did a lot of the hard work in this investigation into the human Java controversy. Like what, back in... It's like 2008 or something, right? Like that that was the thing that surprised me because I, I, you know, I recall looking at this with uh, uh, Pablo Hidalgo from Lucasfilm years back, which seems like many, many years back. But And, and both of us kind of coming up with the same thing like could this really you know have been from star wars it feels like this is probably more you know something that was later and kind of a retcon and and us bouncing around just ideas about it literally kind of the way we've been like well maybe but maybe not but maybe but you know to go back and see oh wow no in 2008 this guy had this wonderfully researched website article up you know coming to uh, exploring all the same stuff we explored after it's like boy it would have been nice to read that first you know <laughs> 
I'll I'll provide the link uh, to this article in particular in this episode's show notes. But he's got tons of other stuff on there too. So uh, if you're a fan of everything we're doing right now, check out uh, his other stuff in Secret History of Star Wars because you'll you'll love it all. But the the script is really interesting, and this talks about how in 1979 was the first public released version of the Star Wars screenplay. And here, I'll just read it. Interior, Docking Bay 94, day, Jabba the Hutt and a half dozen grisly alien pirates and purple creatures stand in the middle of the docking bay. Jabba is the grossest of the slavering hulks, with his scarred face is a grim testimonial to his prowess as a vicious killer. He is a fat, slug-like creature with eyes on extended feelers and a huge, ugly mouth. That's from the 79 publicly released screenplay. Sounds great. I really like the, the purple aliens. Yes. Now, what Michael Kaminsky did is he dug up the actual filming script of Star Wars, the one they had on the set. And this says interior docking bay 94, day AA 53, like you were talking about, Tom, with the call sheet. And it reads, Jabba the Hutt and a half dozen grizzly pirates and purple aliens stand in the middle of the docking bay. Jabba is the grossest of the slavering hulks with his scarred face, is a grim testimonial to his prowess as a vicious killer. Nothing about him being a slug-like creature with eyes on extended feelers and a huge, ugly mouth. He's just a scarred, scary-looking dude. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> it's like every time we get something that pushes us in one direction, something else nudges us back. And there's the line at the end of the scene where Han says, Java, you're a wonderful human being. I So I'll say this on that. There is enough wry humor in the movie. You know, uh, um, oh, cats and uh, Hayek. Uh, I never know how to say that. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they, they put a lot of the more fun lines in there. I don't know if – I don't know if the annotated screenplay was the – is that the book that, that kind of breaks down which, which lines were theirs and which weren't? I'm trying to remember. There was a book that, that did that. It totally, like, especially like she's rich, rich, all of that. They give credit to the husband and wife team, Gloria Katz and Willard Hleek. And Rinsler's book also talks a lot about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But, you know, I would wonder, you know, do they have anything to do with this? And my thought would be the, the, you're a wonderful human being is an okay line if Job is a human being. It's a great line if Job is. A creature, that, to me anyway. But I, I, you know, I don't know what. What's your take on that? That's that's what I think, though. I go back and forth on that because it's one of those things. Like uh, I was talking about in uh, like in Attack of the Clones when they talk about Baru being Owen's girlfriend. Like whenever there's like real world words in Star Wars, it's always a little weird for me. And wonderful human being is kind of in that range where. It's a little bit like to earth talk. So it always sticks out to me, even though, like you're saying, as a as a as a Star Wars joke, it yeah. works. Yes. 
So it's hard for me to be objective on that because it always just kind of sticks out as like an earth word. I got to say boyfriend and girlfriend that keep getting used in these these uh, uh, movies and shows lately. There have been and and every time that those words are uttered, I a chill goes down my spine. I just I don't know why, but it just feels so earthy and just so modern colloquial. Like it's just like ah no 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 stop that. It's like when someone says dad instead of father in these movies too. Like like stop that. <laughs> Which really doesn't it doesn't make any sense why it should make a difference. But I know I get the same sort of thing where it's like uh, it's yeah. weird. It is weird. Every time I would go see the Star Wars special edition, and when Han said, Java, you're a wonderful human being, I was always just like, "I." and, and this goes right with what we're talking about here. I was always like, yeah, because originally he was. Right. That's the, In my mind, that's what I always said. And it was kind of like, yeah, they put it in there because we all know me thinking that everyone in the audience had watched from Star Wars to Jedi and right. knows this stuff. Which, you, when you talk to normal people, you start to learn. Oh, yeah, okay, never mind. But that's where I. T- so for me, that's where I took it. But I swear to God, I remember every time that line was said in a packed theater watching the star Wars special edition in January, 1997, it got a huge laugh. Yeah. And though, like I said, those people don't know right. what we're talking. They're not listening to this episode. They don't care about from star Wars to Jedi. The other 358 episodes they listened to start to finish, <laughs> but not that no, one. Not, no, this one was too far, too much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like episode three five nine, a bridge too far. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's, it. Yeah. No. Are you, are you unable to separate that? Like your knowledge of how they shot the scene before is just so burned in that you can't pull that out of your brain to to look at it fresh at this. I'm which. No offense on that either. Thankfully, Jabba kept changing. So after a while, from the DVD to the to the Blu-ray, where then I was just like, "Well, let's just see how where else this goes. What's going to be next?" <laughs> where it's gone so far from human Jabba that I just don't even think about it anymore. Now I'm just thinking, "Well, how's Jabba going to be different?" Yeah, um, but that I th- but uh, you know I think I think what you said too is it, it's it's a funny line, and maybe I just never thought it was funny. I don't know. <laughs> Because it just makes you miss human Java and his wonderful accent. (laughs) Han, me boy. (laughs) Understand. He's just so, yeah. I just can't afford to make exceptions. Why do you have to fry Paul Greedo like that? (laughs) Yeah. So there's a there's a bold idea presented in Michael Kaminsky's Secret History of Star Wars that I don't know how much I believe in, but I think it's intriguing. He is suggesting that the mysterious art was done before Empire for a possible special edition release that could have been thought about for maybe the 81 or 85 theatrical re-releases, which is fascinating to think of that I guess you still could maybe get Harrison Ford back or maybe like Lucas was already, well, he was already starting to think of digital technology and what could we do and could i he's you know we know george lucas is somebody who never lets an idea go he maybe he was kind of thinking of the idea of well and we've talked about extensively that the audio mix was always changing 
maybe he was thinking about this whole idea of a special edition all the way back then. I don't even know. Is is special edition even the right word then? I think it's just, hey, you know, uh, we have an opportunity to re-release the movie. So to a, a um, this, I don't mean this is a, a pejorative or anything, but like to a normal person, it would be, oh, good, we already have the movie. Go ahead, here it is. But to someone like George, he's gonna go, oh, okay, well, maybe this is a chance for me to actually finish it because he feels like it's this unfinished thing. You know, so I don't even know that it's necessarily like to me, special edition really has a different connotation and I'm splitting hairs here, but I, I think that it's just a question of, ah, oh, I just don't want to put that out right now. It doesn't, it's not what I want. Let me, you know, but if I could just give me 10 minutes, you know, like, like, we just, I just got to polish this up before we put it out. Look at what his buddy, uh, Steven Spielberg did with Close Encounters. Where when that came back out in theaters, it had a completely extended new ending. Right. And did Lucas see what what Steven did with Close Encounters and is like, oh, well, maybe I could do that with Star Wars with that Jabba scene. And that could be, you know, Marsha really liked it. She really wanted it in the movie. I wanted it to be a creature. Could we finally do this? Well, and at that point, knowing they're making a second one and there's a good chance there'll be one after that. And like, why not bring this character, introduce a character that could come back later? They did add the A New Hope to. I think it was the 81. Yeah. To that re-release. I mean, so they were changing the movie. Yeah. And is there is there something to be said for, you know, they if if they've if if this is happening at the time where Empire is already written. Um, you know, that where they've got their shooting script, they know the end of that movie is Han Solo is getting taken off to Jabba the Hutt. So in George's mind, okay, the next movie is them rescuing Han from Jabba the Hutt, which is, it's funny. I still get chills because I'm like, Ooh, that sounds exciting. I want to see that. <laughs> you know, he's got to know that's coming at that point. So yeah, to me, like that's, that's pretty plausible. Like that's, that's an ideal time for him to be thinking of that and to be thinking, oh, well, if we're going to re-release the first movie, if I put Jabba the Hutt in the first movie, and then he's sort of this off-screen big bad in the second movie, and then the third movie, he's the big bad, that could be pretty cool. So yeah, who knows? Somebody knows, but they're not talking. <laughs> they don't want to, they don't want to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah, they're talking just not to us, right? <laughs> So let's go one by one. We've heard all the evidence. Where are we now? Tom, let's start with you. Oh, gosh. Let's put it this way. The scale of, of human Jabba to creature Jabba is fluid. It is not a, a binary scale. It, it, it does not go su-su-su-su-su-su-wow, su-su-su-su-su-su-wow. Uh, it, is, it is something where I think probably before today, I would have said I was like, 80% retcon made around the time of Jedi uh, trying to explain off, you know, uh, and, and, and talked about as if it was always that way to, to explain it off and about 20% chance it was done earlier. I think now I'm probably closer to 60-40 rather than like 80-20. I think I've been nudged back towards this might have been earlier or that the idea of the creature probably began even, even earlier than that. But I, I find it it's really, really hard for me to think that this was intended to be a creature from the very, very beginning and that it was shot 
to be a creature and that they were all set to do it, but just ran out of money. That to me feels, it doesn't feel as likely. Yeah. I would say it doesn't seem at all plausible that there were any plans to really have a creature Jabba in a new hope. Maybe Lucas thought it, but didn't act on it. So, you know, it's fair for him to say he always intended it that way, but his actions, you know, didn't follow through with maybe what he was thinking. But I think I'm more confused now about the drawing because like we were saying, the more you look at the drawing, it seems completely reasonable that, you know, with the change to the script that maybe like around Empire, they were thinking about this. But then looking at the art and it having the monkey lizard looking thing, like it seems like that drawing is much, much later. So I think I'm more (laughs) after all this talking, I think I'm even more confused than I've ever been. Is basically where I think I'm at. I, I really have no idea other than, you know, sometime between 79 and 82 that this drawing happened but that's that's where that's where i'm at you know you mentioning that darn salacious thing just pushed me from 60 40 to 70 30 (laughs) gosh darn you you know it's like this drawing was made just to confuse people (laughs) not people us Like, it's like if we eventually we're going to solve the image and we'll be able to make a spaceship to another dimension because we'll have passed the test. <laughs> I think we might have to do that first so that we can like, travel back in time and figure this out. You know, it's like, hey, what happened? Uh, well, uh, Tom, Jason, and Gabe, they managed to build a time machine. Um, and, uh, oh, oh, they go back and kill baby Hitler? No, no. Uh, you know, it's like... No, they had different plans. And that's why it's missing. Because our future selves built a time machine and stole it for research. <laughs> so I think I think what George Lucas said in From Star Wars to Jedi was true from a certain point of view. I think he thought he would reshoot it back in... 76 77 if fox would have if he would have asked fox for eighty thousand dollars and that they would have said we're giving you zero he could have star wars could have been a success who knows still and he could have been in from star wars to jedi talking about how he originally wanted the cantina to have a band right and we could be like where's the art where's the proof yeah that's a fair point I think it's a from a certain point of view. I don't think we've ever gotten the full story on this. And obviously, again, with this controversial art, we'll never know the full truth. I don't believe the art, but I believe George Lucas. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. Gamorrean Guard and Jabba the Hutt place at each so separately. Mr. Hutt, you've captured my friend. Free him. 
and then keep me instead. That's a sorry tale, but this tale make you sorrier. Top of the Hut playset and other action figures each sold separately from Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection from Kenner. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. everybody after all that i think you should leave us an apple podcast review (laughs) maybe not this week (laughs) maybe maybe we're asking too much this week i think 359 here i think this episode warrants the listener to leave us a positive apple podcast review five stars so more people can find blast points when they search for star wars podcast and if you listen on spotify leave us a five-star review over there too and I mean, I think you could also uh, just tweet at us and, and you know, Facebook mess, uh, f- uh, make Facebook post joins the the, uh, the amazing uh, Blast Point Super Chill group and, and maybe do posts with like, you know, hashtag human Java and say, what's your percentage? You know, what what do you think of this? You've heard the episode. You've heard the evidence. You decide, you know, tell us what you think. Tell us what you know, where you're at right now. Did you even know about this before episode 359? Did you know it was the the deep and dark controversy that it apparently is? Did you make it to this point or did you turn it off 45 minutes ago? Are you still listening? Right, yeah. (laughs) No, I would love to see some people uh, tweeting with that hashtag and and putting posts out there and and letting us know what they think about it because it is, it's fascinating. And just seeing how our own points of view on this have kind of changed just through the course of this last 17 hours that we've been recording, I think is, is, uh, uh, is telling. And I, it'd be really cool to hear what other people think. Yeah. Human Java is important. That's right. It's important to all of us. So yeah, if you do that, you got to follow us on social media, though, right, Gabe? <laughs> yeah, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook—we're on all of those. They're all about Human Java, and we have a website, www.humanjava247.com. <laughs> Check that out, or our other website, uh, BlastPointsPodcast.com. And we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where we're going to be doing Mandalorian season three commentaries. One might already even be out. Depends if our time machine worked. <laughs> but yeah, and Tom, for one more time for everybody, how can people find out about all the cool stuff you got going on? Uh, well, uh, thank you. They can go find um, either at Tom Spina Designs or at Regal Robot on all the socials. Everything from uh, Pinterest and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook to uh, YouTube, where we've got great channels with both. And in those uh, channels, we do video interviews with a lot of the people that created uh, some of your favorite creatures and souls. And uh, I think that alone is is kind of worth the price of admission, which is free. So go go follow us there and subscribe and all of that stuff. Um, and visit the two websites, TomSpeedAndDesigns.com, RegalRobot.com. When you go to both of them, hit the, the button to uh, get yourself added to the newsletter. And then that way, whenever we make something cool, 
uh, you'll get a little thing in your email address, uh, your email that just says, hey, look, there's a new thing. Come see it. And maybe you want to buy something and add it to your collection. We make fun stuff. And if you listen to this, you're probably also a fan of Indiana Jones. We got our indie month coming up just in a matter of weeks. And it's going to be going hand in hand with some of the cool announcements that you're going to have going on with all things Indiana Jones. There's some very cool stuff coming and I can't wait to share more. Well, Tom, we cannot thank you enough once again for joining us once again, for calling us up on the phone. We, oh, we, just, we have so much fun with you. We wouldn't be able to do this extremely important episode without you. So, well, Thank you so much for having me. I, it is always uh, an absolute blast. On that note, everybody, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. I'm st- I was just busy sketching up plans for our time machine. <laughs> you go and read new, like you go and read the making of books and and all of a sudden there's new passages in there about like, you know, a strange goateed man that raced onto the cantina set and pulled the head off of Walrus Man to see who the actor was. You know, it's like, <laughs> why do we still not know who played Walrus Man? Come on. <laughs> It's like he left the set screaming something like, I'm sorry, I've got to go kill baby Hitler now. I just and everybody was like, who's Hitler? (laughs) Because he succeeded. May the force be with you. Ah!